glad to be in the house of God this morning. Amen? Amen. Uh, my wife and I landed last night uh, here at DFW about 9.30, and it's so good to be back in our homeland. Uh, we've uh, lived for the last, well, I've lived here about 28 years in the area, and uh, 10 years ago when my wife and I got married, uh, she moved down from Pennsylvania to here, and uh, we lived in that far, far away land called Louisville and Flower Mound area. I don't know if you had your passport out lately and traveled there, and uh, but uh, that's where we've lived for a long time. But one year ago, uh, God opened the door for us to move to Pennsylvania to where uh, Heather's family is from, and you guys pray for me. Because Dallas Cowboy fans are not welcome in the Philadelphia Eagle land up there. Uh, I, was, uh, I thought it was kind of funny. I was just joking with my uh, father-in-law one day. Because he's a diehard Eagle fan and I'm a diehard Cowboy fan. And I said, you know what, Dad? That would be a great, just kind of like a tradition that we could start whenever Dallas comes up to play Philadelphia, we could go to the game together. You wear your Eagle stuff, I'll wear my Cowboy stuff. And it was like, just like all the life was sucked out of the room. And he looked at me with like sincere concern. He was like, no, you can't do that. You cannot walk into Eagle Stadium with any Dallas Cowboy stuff on. They will kill you. And he wasn't joking. That's the scary part. So you guys pray for me. You know, there's a lot of sacrifices. Things like that are really, really dear to our hearts. Very close, spiritual things. They don't have sweet tea up there in Pennsylvania. Isn't that a tragedy? I mean, shouldn't they have to have that in the, if they're in the U.S., right? They don't have good Tex-Mex. That's just, that's just wrong, okay? Uh, but we're, we're loving it. We're, uh, all of her family lives within about 30 minutes of each other there in Lancaster County. Ever been to Lancaster County? Amish country, beautiful area, totally different than here and what it looks like. And, uh, but we are back in our homeland today, and we are so excited. And thank you, Pastor Chad, for this opportunity. And just to, to give you a quick heads up, because I know what's happening right now. You're like checking me out, aren't you? You're like, who is this guy? Who is he? How young is he? All these questions. Well... Uh, I'm a full-time evangelist. In fact, this year we celebrated the milestone of being an evangelist for 20 years now. And we thank God and we praise God for his faithfulness. Allowed us to travel to 55 countries around the world. 45 of the U.S. states, flown over two and a half million miles. And it last, last week, uh, just last week right now, I was in Santiago, Chile speaking. And it's just amazing, no matter where I'm at, no matter what culture, what language, when the people of God come together, it is that same spirit. And I feel it here this morning. And I want to let you know that even though you don't know me, that before we leave this room, my desire and my prayer and God's desire is that you will have an immediate supernatural encounter with God and his supernatural miracles. Because I don't know 
about you, but my wife and I need a few miracles right now. And if you need a miracle, if you need an answer, if you need a breakthrough, then let me tell you, you didn't walk into a movie theater today. You didn't walk into a restaurant today. You didn't walk into a library. You didn't walk into a Mac store. You didn't walk into, you walked into the house of God. And the house of God says, we get to meet with our supernatural God. And he is able to exceedingly abundantly do all that we ever could ask or think. So I want you to raise your expectation right now. I know maybe just in a few minutes, we'll go right through this service and you'll walk out the doors and you'll start the rest of your day. But God radically wants to embrace you with his love right now. He wants to change everything about your situation by revealing his love to you. You know, one of the unique aspects of our lives as evangelists is that in 1998, I was in Nehemiah Niger and God spoke to me specifically while I was standing on a street corner and I was watching some of these uh, children, very, very poor children there in Niger, and they were kicking around an old deflated, worn out soccer ball. And it was at that moment that God spoke to me. And have you ever had this happen to you? Have you ever had those moments where you were completely convinced that God got the wrong Twitter account? He got the wrong Facebook account. Have you ever had that happen? You got the wrong cell phone guide. You got the wrong text. He just messed it up because he talked to this guy about starting a soccer ministry around the world. <laughs> I was like, uh, God, I don't know if that was like supposed to shoot past me to the guy behind me, or if it was supposed to hit somebody before it got to me, but you want me to do soccer ministry? I've never played soccer. I don't know how to play soccer. I don't understand soccer. The only football I know about is Americano football, where we get to hit people, you know, get to take them down, you know, and we get to pick it up and throw it and catch those heroic touchdowns, you know. And, and God says, uh, yeah, I, I get it. I know. I know that you don't play. Trust me. I've watched you. I'm not asking you to teach kids how to play soccer, okay? I'm asking you to use that as a tool to reach people around the world for the kingdom of God. And so I said, Okay, God, let's do this. Um, we started in 1999 doing the very first one in Managua, Nicaragua. Worked with a missionary in a local church because our whole desire is to work with a local church in some community, some country in the world. And the whole vision is to help that local church reach unreached people in their community and use a soccer championship as a tool and then every night we have a crusade in which we reach the entire town. Every day it's a soccer camp uh, uh, situation for the kids. We feed them. We put a t-shirt on the back. We uh, have medals and trophies and throw out thousands of pieces of candy. But even things more special like we give them their own brand new Bible in their language. And I can tell you that is so powerful that this living word is now in the homes of Buddhists. It is in the homes of Muslims. It is in the homes of agnostics and atheists. It is in the homes of families around the world that would have never allowed this 
to come into their house. But God used a unique ministry called Soccer Salvation Camps to get that Bible into their home. And it is not just some box randomly taken out of a box and have them lined up and just start handing them out. No, we make it special. Every coach signs the inside, signs the kid's name, makes it special. And then every kid gets a brand new soccer ball. And oh, if you could only see, they have no idea. These kids are poor. The biggest thing you could ever give them is a soccer ball. And so when we pull out 100, 150 brand new soccer balls at the very end, it is pandemonium. It is chaos. It is like a million birthdays, Christmases, 4th of Julys, all put together. And no joke, I can't tell you how many times, like, there's gangs waiting outside to steal the balls. People have come into the church and stolen the balls. There are kids that come up crying, saying, somebody stole my ball because they are huge. But even more than that, we give them the greatest gift of all, and that's the gift of Jesus Christ. And that's why the little boy named Radu in Sibiu, Romania, fighting an incurable disease in his country for one year, God made sure that out of all the cities in Romania that we could have went to, we went to his city. And out of all the children that could have been invited to this soccer salvation camp, God made sure that Radu was one of those kids. And even more specifically, out of all the kids that were in the camp, God made sure that he was on the championship team. The reason why that is important is because the special medals to present to the champions at the end of the soccer camp They weren't completed yet. They did not arrive. They were being handmade in this Romanian black glass by a local artisan, literally one of a kind. Nothing, nobody else ever has had them or made them there with our special logo. And they didn't arrive in time to present to them on the last night of the crusade. And God needed that to happen. So a few days later when they did come in, that the leaders could hand deliver each medal to every championship child that was in that camp. And when they got to his house, they found out that Radu was very, very sick and they had to go into the bedroom and present the soccer salvation camp medal. And the mother began to tell, he didn't want to tell you guys that he was sick. He didn't want to tell you that he'd been invited into disease for an entire year because he didn't want to miss out on this opportunity. And they put that around his neck, and he was beaming and talking about the day that we gave him the soccer ball. But you know what? They left that house that day, not realizing just a few days later, Radu would pass and die. And if there's ever been a moment that God says, children are important to me. The children around the world are important. And God cared enough about Radu He said, this is his last chance to receive Jesus. So he received Jesus because we checked the list. And of the 85 that received Jesus Christ in that camp, Radu's name was on that list. And you know what? It was a special day to get that championship medal put around his neck. But I can tell you a few days later, it was far greater for him to walk into the gates of heaven and be presented with the gift of life and eternity and salvation. And you know what? One of these days, I'm going to be walking around heaven. And I I just believe there's going to be a little boy kicking a soccer ball around up there. And I'm going to come in contact with Radu. 
And that's why we do what we do all over the world in places like Thailand, Cebu, uh, Romania. We, we meet in Latvia and Canary Islands and, and Haiti and Dominican Republic and Guatemala and Nicaragua and Honduras and Peru and Chile and Brazil and Argentina. And the list continues to go. And every one of these, we come in, we provide the finances, and it's only provided by people just like you that say, I want to buy Bibles and I want to buy food and I want to buy t-shirts so we can reach people around the world through this unique ministry. We have to raise 20000 for each one. We were just in Chile this week setting up our next one. It's going to be in Talagante, Chile, a city that is overwhelmed by witchcraft. But we know where there is darkness, the light of Jesus Christ shines brighter. Uh, so just run it quickly. Please check us out on our Facebook, our website. Uh, someone's going to hand you a prayer card at the end of the service when you're going out. And I know that uh, that will help you understand a little bit more about our heart and what we do. Can you quickly stand with me for the reading of God's word? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. Now, uh, up in the north, it's, it's not always... Uh, like this, but I know now that I'm back south and back home that you guys are really good at helping me preach. So can you just every once in a while, just throw an amen in there, whether you feel like it or not, just kind of just egg me on a little bit. Just act like you're at the Dallas Cowboy game and somebody scored a touchdown. Just get a little excited and we're going to have a great time this morning. Genesis. Thank you. Genesis chapter 41. If you found it, say amen. Verse 14, Genesis chapter 41. If you still haven't found Genesis, we need to talk. (laughs) So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. And no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Father, I pray right now that your will would be done and you would speak to every life in this room. We pause right now to ask the Holy Spirit to literally saturate this time, touch every heart in this room so that no one would leave this room without experiencing the immediate supernatural touch of your love, your forgiveness, and your healing. We are believing over these next few moments of the word of God in prayer that there will be miracles that take place. People that walked in here in pain are going to leave without pain. People that walk in here dealing with migraine headaches are never going to have to face another one. Today, pain is going to be taken away. Healing is going to take place in bodies that had endured disease and sickness. God, today, marriages are going to be transformed. People are going to come back to Christ. God, today we declare is a day to lift you up and to celebrate your victory. We thank you for your word and we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I, um, I just want to ask you a quick question and I, I, I hate to spoil it for anybody, but spoiler alert, okay? Spoiler alert. If you haven't figured this out yet, at times in life, you will face things that are unfair. Life won't always be fair, will it? 
Life doesn't always ask you how you feel about something. Here is a young man named Joseph that we all know about. He was a special child. He was a favorite child of his father. Now, I know all the parents here in this room that your pat answer to all your kids, oh, daddy doesn't have a favorite. No, mommy doesn't have a This is a place of truth. And some of you are like, yeah, I am the favorite child. Dad slips me 20s when he doesn't slip anybody else 20s. Mom gets my snack or, you know, we got, you know, well, this is Joseph. He is living this great life. He is getting treated like none of his other brothers are getting treated. And he's just having a great time and great life. And then all of a sudden life shows up and is really unfair. And it's so critical. And it tries to challenge everything that he is just like you and I will go through times and seasons in our lives that we don't understand. So. I am a twin, okay? I have a twin sister, and I have a brother that's two years older than me. And I just want to clear some confusion up for anybody in this room that after service will come up to me and say, Oh, Ron, I heard that you have a twin sister. Are you identical? No. (laughs) Boy, girl, not possible to be identical but for some unknown reason thousands of people in our wonderful country seem to never get that I have a brother that's two years older and because we were brothers we shared a lot of the same bedrooms we kind of were closer than my twin sister And there were times, just like Joseph, that all of a sudden one day, the brothers got tired of Joseph being special child and getting special things. They're like, we're going to take you out. You know, we all know what it's like to have brothers and sisters and you fight and and, and you take each other down and you're in the backseat. Somebody's touching me. Somebody's touching me. You know, uh, you know, all these things that we've always went through. Uh, But... Joseph, it kind of went to another level because they threw him in a hole and they say, we're going to kill you. Now, there were days that I thought my older brother was going to kill me. But there is one thing you got to know about little brothers. We are way tougher than the older brother because we're the ones used to getting beat up all the time. And if you can just land one punch on that older brother, he can't take a punch. Uh-uh, he's not used to that. And there was a day that I was reminded of, um, you know what, life is not fair. And it was the day that for some unknown reason, my brother goes out and buys a brand new bullwhip. No, we do not live on a ranch. No, we do not have a farm. No, we do not have animals. Except for Snoopy, our little special Identity crisis poop that is part chihuahua, part beagle, and part rat terrier. He is one messed up dog. And it was a sad ending to the day that he decided, oh, gee, asphalt uh, gallon of stuff to take care of leaks on a roof that was left out in the backyard. And 
that looks appetizing. So I'll start to eat that. Not good. And that was the day we had to say goodbye to Snoopy. But as you can tell, that was the extent. No need for a bullwhip. So my brother, not having any bulls to actually try it out on, who gets, you know who gets it, the younger brother. And he laid that bullwhip across my back. I will never forget the pain. I will never forget the red whelp all the way across my back. And there were days that were like that, that I thought my brother hated me, but never at the end of the day did he ever want to kill me. We loved each other. We made things right. And you look at this situation with Joseph and, and he is finding himself in a situation that is so unfair. So I, I just, I just want to ask you a question right now. In what way has life been unfair to you? If we could go and Put the mic in front of each one that is in this room. Wow, the stories that would be shared that nobody else knows about. 20 years I've shared my testimony and been around the world and I've heard some of the most heart-wrenching things that you could ever hear. I've seen that life is not always fair, so... How, how can we have hope? How can we have peace every day that we wake up? Even when life does things that it did not get our okay. There was a Sunday morning just like this. And there was a boy that always went to church with his family on Sunday morning. He was 10 years old, went to church just like any other morning. A man in the church invited the little boy over for the afternoon. He could play with the kids in his neighborhood. He would bring him back to church that night. The parents trusted this man. The church trusted this man. So the man took this 10-year-old home for the afternoon and And unfortunately, that little 10-year-old found out that life can be so unfair, even at the tender age of 10 years old. Because that man was not a good man. In fact, that man turned out to be a child pedophile. That man took that little boy into a back room of a trailer house and he shut the door. No matter how much the boy screamed and no matter how much the boy asked him to stop, no matter how much he wanted it to be over, no matter how much he wanted this nightmare to stop, there was nobody coming. There was nobody that could hear. And that man did the unthinkable and he began to threaten that little boy. And so that evening, that little boy was dropped off back at home. He was in the deepest, darkest pit as Joseph found himself because he found out really quickly that life is unfair. I could tell you about a 15-year-old teenage young man on a Friday afternoon, he came home to his house and he was faced with the unthinkable. He hears his mother screaming and 
his mom and dad's bedroom. And so he runs in and he sees something that no 15-year-old young man should ever have to see. He sees his mother holding his dad's shotgun up to her heart. And she is begging and screaming with tears streaming down her face. Show me how to use this because I can't do life anymore. Please help me. I could tell you about a beautiful little girl that was born July 17th, 1997. And for 16 months, life was great. And then one day, sitting in a high chair eating lunch, everything changed because that little baby girl started having seizures and they took her to the hospital and the doctors came back with the test results and said to the parents so sorry so so sorry but the reason your daughter is having seizures is she has a rare incurable disease and what this disease does is it 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 creates tumors in the major organs of the body. So your little girl has so many tumors on her brain right now that they can't, they can't even count them all. She has them in her heart, and they will begin to spread into the other organs of their body. And, and uh, that doctor told that family, you take your baby home and you enjoy every day that you have with her. You embrace her. You love her. You experience every day what you can experience with her. Because there is no cure. There's nothing we can do. All of these situations, all of these tragedies brought a person or persons to a point of deciding... Did God go to the cross and go to the grave? Did he overcome all that he overcame so that I stay down in a pit when life is unfair? No, you didn't didn't deserve to be abandoned as a child. You didn't deserve to go through an abusive relationship in your marriage and then to walk through a divorce. You didn't deserve to be made fun of as a child. You didn't deserve to be walked out on by your business partner and have to file bankruptcy you didn't deserve to do and go through what you went through with your father or your grandfather or whoever it may be that devastated your life you didn't deserve that but there is one thing you've got to know this morning is God did not do what he did on the cross so that we stay down in that pit and then Joseph was transferred to Potiphar's house and 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 there he was a slave and he was just a piece of property but he kept his faith. He said, you know what? My identity is not in me and it's definitely not in my situation, but it is in my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. And no matter how I wake up and no matter where I lay my head down at night, I know that when I wake up, my identity is in Jesus Christ. And that is where my peace comes from. That is where my joy comes from. That is where my purpose comes from. And then he was wrongly accused and thrown into a prison. 
And once again, life was unfair, and it seems unthinkable, and how unfair can this be? But he kept his identity in Jesus Christ. And then one day, it was time to switch clothes. You see, I was a youth pastor before I was an evangelist. So about 25 years ago, I was a youth pastor in Mesquite, Texas. And and I got this great idea one day. I would challenge my students, if they would give 10,000 to missions that year, they could put me in jail. I was young and brain dead. No, I didn't go down to the local city police and say, can you put me in your jail? Hmm, No, that would have been too easy. No, I I, I didn't even go to my county and say, hey, sheriff, can you put me in your jail for the day? No. No, I, I couldn't even go to my state penitentiary and ask. No, there is a federal prison outside of Siegelville, Texas, where the hardest of the hardest federal penitentiary federal prisoners are. And for some unknown reason, I had a guy in the church that had a connection with the warden. How is that a good thing? Who goes around saying, hey, I know the warden at the federal prison. So brain dead youth pastor goes out, gee, warden, can you treat me like a prisoner for a day if my students give $10,000 to missions this year? He said, yes, we would love to. We do that quite well. Well, I can just tell you that three days after I got out of my federal penitentiary stint in the federal prison of Seagoville, Texas, I got a phone call from the warden, and he was so apologetic. He was so afraid that I was so mad because, let me just tell you and put it this way, I cannot tell you everything in this place and setting, what happened to me and what they did to me. I cannot confer to you the words. I was put in a cell in clothing next to other prisoners. I was not in with any other prisoner, but they could walk up to my cell, and the guard sure had fun taking me through this process. But there was one good thing about that day. It was the day that I got to put my regular clothes on. I got rid of that prison clothes. It was a good day. The moment I got my own clothes back, because I was like, oh, God, please don't let the warden die while I'm in here. And please don't let there be a riot. Hey, I'm just playing prisoner for the day. Get up against the wall. Scumbag, you know, I had prisoner clothes on. You know what God wants you to do? Yeah, life has been tough. Yes, it didn't ask you if it was okay to take you through the mud and the mire and the pain and the sin and the addiction and the darkness. But God's got new clothes for you today. He wants you to walk out of that prison just like Joseph. He says, I got a place for you in the palace. I got a destiny and a purpose for you. I've got something planned for you. Your life is not over. Your ministry is not over. Your purpose is not over. And you know what? The reason I stand here today is because God looked at some young kid from western Oklahoma that had nothing special about him but there was one thing that was going to stand out and that was not anything to do with me but that has everything to do with my Lord and my Savior and you see the reason I stand here today is to let you know that even at the hardest of times God has a way to get you out of your prison into your palace you see that little 10 year old little boy that was sexually molested on that Sunday afternoon by a child pedo file that little boy was me that 15 year old that walked in and wrestled the shotgun out of his mother's hands so that she wouldn't kill herself in front of him 
that was also me. It also was my little baby girl, Taylor Nicole Rhodes, that was born and diagnosed with a rare incurable disease called tuberous sclerosis. And her life has been a special needs student coming home, being made fun of, called the R word, being discarded by normal society. But God says, I'm going to heal Taylor. And she is going to travel with her daddy around the world. And she is going to have a testimony of what God does to the incurable. And you know what? God showed me that. He's prophesied that. He says she's going to walk up on stages around the world in front of thousands of people and she's going to have her name announced and she's going to get up and say yes I was that little girl but tell me right now I'm standing here right now and the doctors didn't give me chance and the disease didn't give me a chance but God says I got different plans well one year ago in June 8th 2015 in front of 10,000 people at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas. My daughter got her name announced for the very first time because she was 18 years old and she was graduating from high school. And my daughter walked up on that stage and she got to hear Taylor Nicole Rhodes. And I can assure you there was no question where dad was standing in front of 10,000 people that day. I was diagnosed with cancer at 33. Four months later, it spread into my lymphatic system. They told me I was dying, had to go through treatment. But the day I stand here in front of you and I'm cancer-free, I had a grand mal seizure that should have killed me in front of my wife in Istanbul, Turkey. It broke my spine in three places. It stopped my breathing. I started turning blue. I should have been dead. But God says, even at the worst of times, in those darkest moments, I've got a palace for you to step into. And I'm telling you today, your marriage has new hope. Your life has new hope.